There we go. I do appreciate the uh, privilege of being here this morning. wherever he has planted you. And yet what we find in the scriptures is that where uh, there are two believers who are working together and loving each other and serving each other, caring for one another, uh, the Lord more than doubles, I think, the impact of those two people working together. In fact, when Jesus is praying in uh, John, he prays to the Father that the Lord would, that he would make us one, that when the world would see the oneness that exists between the body of Christ, then they would believe the message that we preach. And so when God sees us unity and unity working together, uh, when we agree on these fundamentals, I believe that the Lord is delighted with that. And so it is an honor to be here this morning. Now, one of the things that you will have discovered if you have been coming to church for any length of time or you've been reading the Bible for any length of time is that sometimes when you open your Bible and you read it, the Lord uh, comforts you in a very deep way. So something that the Word says reaches you at a deeper part of you than anybody else could ever say. God is a way of comforting us when we read the Word of God. So maybe when you become a Christian, you've got this incredible guilt, and you realize that Jesus died on the cross to remove all of that guilt from our hearts. And so that's incredibly comforting. Maybe you are incredibly discouraged, and you come to church, and you realize God is an omnipotent God. He is infinitely powerful, nothing too difficult for Him. And so you're encouraged and you go out and you say, I can't wait to church the next time. This was so comforting, so encouraging. I can't wait to get back. Sometimes, however, when you come to church or when you open your Bible, it is very challenging. Very challenging. In fact, as deep as the comfort of the Bible goes, so deep does the challenge of the Bible go. And when you read the Bible and you read all of the Bible and you read all of the words of Jesus... You will get to verses and you will get to passages that challenge you to the very, very core of who you are. And you'll leave church and somebody might say, hey, what's wrong with you? And you say, ah, that this morning was challenging. Jesus' uh, words were shocking to me. They were challenging to me. And I'm trying to figure out how this is going to work in my life. They are challenging. Now, quite honestly, the words that we read this morning in this passage are challenging. Now, uh, someone chose the verses that we're preaching on this morning. All of the pastors involved in this pulpit exchange are preaching from the identical passage. And uh, to be honest, if I was visiting you, I mean, if for some reason when I go to visit another church, I probably wouldn't, the first time I preach to you, preach a challenging message. You're going to leave probably thinking, well, there's a weird radical preacher and, you know, I wouldn't want to go to his church. I mean, well, maybe you're a preacher, he's preaching on the same passage because we're all preaching on it. But this is a challenging message. But the message of the Bible is this, that often you have to be challenged to the very core of your being before you can be comforted to the very core of your being. So this message is challenging, and it certainly is very challenging. But if you get this message, if you get it, if you understand it, you will be comforted. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 8, 
beginning to read at verse 18. Now, I'm to be honest with you, not a great preacher. That's just the truth before we even start here. And uh, this message, is, verses in my opinion, are speaking about something specific. They're a specific example of a general principle that we find in the Bible. So after I read these verses, I'm going to read a few other verses and uh, bring the two of them together. If it was my church, this would be two sermons. Uh, preach the general one first and then the specific one second. Uh, so if you're here for a long time this morning, it's because I'm trying to fit two into one. But we'll try to get it uh, into the time. Matthew chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. And then I'm also going to read a few verses from uh, Matthew chapter 16, beginning to read at verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We'll end our reading at verse 26. Do you mind if we have a word of prayer before we preach? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to minister from your word. We acknowledge very definitely, Father, our need this morning of the help of your Holy Spirit. We are so thankful that these words that we have read this morning are inspired words. They are inspired, and Father, I pray this morning that the same Holy Spirit who inspired them would now anoint them and open our hearts to receive them and understand them. For it's in Jesus' very precious and most worthy name we pray. Amen. As some of you are aware, I was born and spent the most of my life in Northern Ireland until I came to America. And uh, there is a question that young people and children get asked in Northern Ireland that I have heard asked over here as well. And the question is, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, you might be one of the the fortunate ones that figured it out when you were three, you wanted to be this, and all through your life that never really changed, and today maybe that's exactly what you are. I, on the other hand, are probably like the majority of you, and if I had written everything down that I ever believed about that or ever wanted to be or ever wanted to do, my list would actually be rather long. My dad was a farmer, so when I was a child, I wanted to be a farmer. And at some point, that dream absolutely died, and I never wanted to be that again. Sometime I wanted to be a teacher. One time I wanted to be everything, something probably very bizarre and unattainable. Eventually, I ended up at university studying computer science, thought I was going to get a job as a programmer, then thought maybe I'll become a teacher. And finally, while I was studying that, God said, I want you to be involved in ministry, so here I am today. But there was one job that I can honestly say never made it onto my list of things that I wanted to be or wanted to do, and that was a salesman. 
I never wanted to be a salesman. Probably partly my personality, and uh, I have met some wonderful salesmen, some absolutely brilliant salesmen, some very godly salesmen. I have some friends who are salesmen, and many salesmen are very wonderful people. On the other hand, not all of salesmen are wonderful people. And uh, to be honest with you, when I am going to buy something, I'm almost a little bit guarded whenever I first meet the salesman. Now, uh, partly that is because we understand that it is actually massively in the salesman advantage to sell you the product. I mean, they're not really that concerned about you necessarily. They're concerned about themselves. And so they will stack the table with all of the advantages and tell you some things that, quite frankly, maybe I have trust issues, but I don't totally believe. In Northern Ireland, uh, if you want a pair of shoes, you inevitably have to go to a shoe store. Here you can go to Walmart, get them lots of places wherever you get your shoes. But in Northern Ireland, you go to a shoe store and you walk in and you're looking at the shoes. And before very long, a salesman come up and say, can I help you? And I'll say, actually, I was looking at this pair of shoes. Do you have them in this size? He'll go and get them and try them. I'll try them on. And then I'll say, you know, I've never heard of this make of shoe before. Is it a good make? Is it worth the money? And you wouldn't believe how many times I have heard them say, actually, this is a really good pair of shoes. I actually own these shoes. Don't have them on today, admittedly, but I own these shoes. Very comfortable shoes. They last a very long time. And I'm thinking to myself, really? I mean, do I really always like the shoes that shoe salesmen like? Or do they buy an awful lot of shoes and wear them? Or do they say this to everybody? And so I'm thinking, really? And always guarded when I meet a salesman. It's even worse when I go to buy a car, buy a second-hand car, go to the thing and meet the salesman. I'm always very guarded because some of them come bounding up to you as if you're their long-lost brother. You know, hello, you've got a beautiful family and everything's wonderful. In fact, I had a dream last night. No, they don't go into the dream, but that's almost what you're expecting them to come out with. And then they begin to tell you all of the advantages of this car. Now, I'm not against the advantage. I I want to know the advantages. I want to know the good things about this car that would incline me to buy it. I want a good car. So they would tell you, this car, for example, has a five-star safety rating, and you've got a beautiful young family, and uh, you really care about safety. And when you get into the car and you're driving down the road, you want to know this thing is safe. And this is a five-star safety rating. You know, this this is the car for you. And not only that, but look at the trunk here. It's massive. And, you know, when you're going on those long family trips and the kids and getting everything into the back, you'd want lots of space. And I'm thinking, right now, if I hadn't even thought of that, that's a, you know, this, this car is getting more and more like the one that I want to have every minute. And then he would say, you know, do you do a lot of driving? Actually, I do do a lot of driving. And so he said, this car has got really good fuel economy. I mean, this one gets 16 miles a gallon. This 26. This one gets 36 miles a gallon. Over the course of the lifetime of this car, you're going to save yourself an awful lot of money. And so everything that he's stacking on the table is to my advantage. And I'm nodding my head and saying, this looks like a good car. Nothing that he has said is wrong. The problem is that he will deliberately often, if he's a bad salesman, withhold from you the negative aspects of that car. Nothing he said isn't true. It's just incomplete. And when I'm making the decision, I want to know everything so that I can make a decision. The problem is, if I drive off the lot with that car, and he has not told me the negative things about it, the moment I drive off the lot, I am going to discover the reality of that car, whether I know about it or not. 
I can't wish that car to be everything without the negatives. I can't will it to be everything without the negatives. When I drive off, I have the car with all of its reality, the good and the bad, even if I didn't know about the bad. So three months later, I can take it to my mechanic to get it inspected, drop it off in the morning, and he calls me through the day and he says, that car, did you know that about three months ago, right before you bought that car, that car was involved in an accident? And they did really good body work, and you wouldn't have noticed it, but there's a structural damage to that car, and it's dangerous. And I'm thinking, he told me five-star safety, and now it's dangerous? And he says, do you know that that car is notorious, that model, for needing a transmission replacement about 80,000 miles, and yours is 77,000 miles, and you're going to be out a lot of money? And I'm thinking, he told me I was going to save myself a lot of money, and now it's costing me a lot of money. And even though the trunk is really big, I'll I'll give it that, um, what about the fact that my kids weren't in it five minutes until they were saying, Mom, Dad, we feel like sardines in the back of this car. So you see, the reality will always strike you when you buy something, when you accept something, when you make a decision and you leave with it, you'll get all of the good things, but you'll discover all of the negatives. That is why you as an individual and I as an individual, we love and we value a person that we can trust, a person who will set all of the good things and all of the disadvantages on the table and say, here's the reality, now make your decision. Make a decision based upon everything, not just the good. Now, the truth is that for those who are here this morning who are followers of Jesus, who are believers, we tend sometimes, when we are speaking to our unsaved friends or people who aren't following Jesus, to stack the table with all of the advantages. Isn't that right? We list all of the advantages, and we should list all of the advantages. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, the Bible could not be clearer. The advantages to becoming a Christian are so big and so powerful that I couldn't even do them justice this morning. The guilt that you have over the sins that you've committed can all be washed away under the blood of Jesus, because he died on the cross to pay the price. You can have as your father, the king of the universe, the omnipotent king of the universe, can be your father. You can have a friend in Jesus. You can have all of those advantages. You can have peace in your heart. You can talk to the ruler of the universe. You can worship him. You can know him. You can hear him. All of those are powerful advantages. But in the Bible, Jesus does something that is very, very powerful. When disciples or people come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, seen all the miracles, I've heard all your teaching, I want to be your follower. Consider me in. I am your disciple. Jesus does something very striking for us. Because you might expect that Jesus would say, well, let me share all of the advantages or all of the reasons why you have made the right decision. You might expect for Jesus to say, you know, best decision of your life and uh, call all of his friends over and say, look, guys, we've got another follower and do that. But Jesus does something very different. In the passage we read from Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to them, listen to this. He says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross And follow me. That's what Jesus said. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Now, quite honestly, the language of the cross is something that can seem rather distant to us. It didn't seem distant to them when they heard these words. Every single person who heard those words of Jesus had a very vivid impression on their minds of watching somebody going through the streets of Jerusalem carrying a cross on their back or going through the streets of some other town with a cross, a heavy wooden cross, stumbling and staggering with that thing on their back. And they knew when they saw that, that person is going to a spot in town and they're going to be nailed onto that thing and it's going to be lifted up and they're going to die an excruciating death. In fact, that's where excruciating comes from. Crucifying, excruciating, an enormously painful way to die. So Jesus is saying to these followers, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, it's going to involve pain. It's going to involve in your life sometimes excruciating pain. Now, this is hardly typical salesman stuff, is it? This is the opposite of typical salesman stuff. This is not follow me and miracles will be bombing all around you. This is not follow me and you'll get healthy and you'll get wealthy. This is follow me and in following me, you will experience pain. In fact, elsewhere, Jesus said, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. His words, not mine. So what does he mean by bearing our cross? Oswald Chambers, who wrote the uh, famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, explains it like this. The cross for us is the pain involved in doing the will of God. And it's impossible for you or me or for anybody to follow Jesus and not experience some things that are incredibly painful for us to experience. It's impossible for any Christian, any follower of Christ, in any culture, in any age, to truly follow Christ and not at the same time experience incredibly pain. Now, I've heard preachers say that it's easy to be a Christian. I've heard them say, get uh, right with God and you'll get healthy, you'll get wealthy. The problem is you can buy that type of Christianity if you want, but when you walk out through the doors, you are going to experience reality. You are going to experience the incredible benefits of being a Christian and the pain involved in truly being a follower of Christ. For it will cost us all, even all of us here, different things at different times and in different ways. I have seen a young person fall deeply in love, deeply in love. And all of a sudden, they want to become a Christian, and they know that to become a follower of Christ is going to mean that in that case, God has made it very clear, they're going to have to break off that relationship. Now, if you were to go to that person when they're weighing all of this up and say to them, is this painful for you? They would say, this is excruciatingly painful for For me to follow Christ means that I'm going to have to give this person up, and this is excruciatingly painful for me. If you said to them, does it feel like you're dying in a way, like you're dying on a... They would say, that language kind of sums up what I'm going through now. For me to follow Christ is painful. It can cost an employee excruciating pain to have to stand up against the instruction of a boss or a company. Now, you might not bat an eyelid at having to tell your boss anything you want, But whenever I was studying at university in Northern Ireland, I worked for a year as part of my degree. 
And I don't know what it was my problem, but whenever they were asking me to do something that was essentially lying and being deceitful, and I had to say, listen, I am so sorry, but I can't do this. That might not bother you a bit, but it was excruciatingly painful for me to follow Christ in that case. Can you imagine a politician in our day getting alone with the word of God and discovering what the Bible teaches and realizing that for them to stand up in public and nail their colors to the mast of following Christ, it might cost them their political career, it might cost them everything they've ever dreamed, and you get alone with that individual when they're weighing all of this up, will I follow Christ or will I not? For me to follow Christ might cost me everything, and you get alone and you say, is this painful? They will say, excruciatingly painful, incredibly painful. This is the darkest, most painful thing that I've ever encountered in my life. It will cost all of us at some point something. And that is quite frankly why Jesus says, before you make this decision to follow me, I want to set all of this on the table. If you're going to follow me, you get all of these advantages, but I do want you to know it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything to walk with me, for I'm going to take you places, and I'm going to take you through places that everything that your family might find offensive, that your work might find offensive, that your society might find offensive, but if you're going to follow me, It's going to be painful. And that is why he says, weigh the cost. Remember he tells a story about somebody starting to build something and getting it halfway built and running out of money? But kind of like at our church, we're looking at uh, changing our furnace. The one we have is very inefficient, and we're trying to save some money. Can you imagine people came to our church one Sunday morning, a morning like this when it's frigid outside, and they get in through the door, and they're expecting to be hit with this wall of warmth, and instead it's frigid inside of the church, and they said, what's going on? And we said, well, actually, the board decided to replace the furnace. So they took the old furnace out, and then they went to buy a new one and realized, you know, we didn't have the money or whatever. And so we do- you think, what were those clowns thinking of? I mean, who does that? Who makes that big of a decision without taking everything into consideration? And Jesus is saying, listen, he just wants you to know, to follow him, it is going to be painful. It's going to cost. And so he goes on in those passages, and he says, and he says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. See, chances are, if you're here this morning, and you're not yet a follower of Christ, that this is the reason why you are not a follower of Christ yet. You probably agree with the basic teachings of this church. You believe that Christianity is true. You might even respect people who are Christian and know people who are the real deal and wish you could be like them. But the thing that's holding you back is there is something or someone, and you know for me to follow Christ, I would have to give that up, and you say, I can't. Too painful, too undoable, unthinkable. I would rather die than give that thing up. But you know, to follow Christ, you would have to. And so he says, Jesus says, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Here's what he's saying. That painful thing that you would need to give up or you need to do to follow Christ. Here's what he's saying. You can spare yourself the pain of giving that up. You can, as it were, save your life. But in doing that, you will ultimately lose your life. Not only in this life, because that thing, whatever it is that is holding you back, that thing can never satisfy the deep needs of your heart. That thing can never deliver to you all that you hope and dream that it will deliver. It can't do it, so you'll lose it in this life and ultimately for all eternity. He says the person who will lose his life, who says this is painful, this is awfully, awfully difficult, but I'm willing to give it up to get Jesus, the person who does that, he says, finds his life, the true life and the true meaning that comes from knowing Jesus, not only in this life, but in the world to come. 
So in the next verse, he goes on to illustrate this. He says, what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He says, whatever that thing is that's keeping you back from following Christ, whatever it is, he takes out the balances and he says, put it in here and you put it in there. And he says, on the other side, put your eternal future in the other side and tell me which of those is more valuable. Whatever that thing that is holding you back, he said, it is never more valuable, never more important than Jesus. So if you are here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you meet anybody here who is and you get them privately and you say, I have a question for you to follow Jesus. Was it ever painful? Did it ever hurt you to follow Jesus? They will all say yes. They will all say yes. But if you said to them, was it worth it? They will all say, definitely. It was so painful for me to give that up. But in giving that up to get Jesus, I got everything that my heart ever desired. And it was worth it. And in the verses we read from Matthew 8, I believe that Jesus is giving us an example of some of the things that people find difficult To give up, to follow Jesus. He's setting everything on the table. So one person comes to him and says, Jesus, I'll go with you wherever you go. But when people come to Jesus, he can see into their heart. He knows what they are longing for. He knows what they value. He knows what the painful things will be. So this man who values comfort, values security, values safety. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, I just want you to know that I am an itinerant preacher. I don't have a place to lay my head. I am taken to places that are very uncomfortable, very unsafe. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to give up your comfort. You're going to have to give up your safety. You're going to have to give up your security. That's what it's going to mean for you. Somebody else comes to him and says, Jesus, first of all, let me go bury my dad. Now, uh, this is a little obscure, but I think the meaning of it is that he was saying, listen, my dad is uh, well on in life. And can you allow me to wait until my dad dies and then I will follow you? This was a patriarchal society. They valued their dads. They respected their dads. And Jesus is saying to him, for you to follow me, I need to be more important to you than any relationship here on earth, including your father. See, here's the deal. If you think Jesus is somebody that you can follow and he will sprinkle a little bit of miracle dust over your life and make your life a little bit better and, you know, answer a few of your prayers here and there, you've completely missed who Jesus is. For these people who realize that Jesus is everything, Jesus is the king of the universe walking here on earth. He is everything. He is more than just somebody to sprinkle miracle dust. He is a God who is worthy to be loved. He is a savior who is worthy to be worshipped. When they realize that and they're saying, Jesus, I am willing to give up everything to have you because in giving up everything, I get everything that is far more. They follow him. Jesus said that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not somebody to sprinkle a little bit of miracle dust, tidy your life up a little bit, work a few miracles here and there. He is the Son of God who came to die on a cross. In fact, in Matthew, the reason that he's talking about a cross here is because he's just told his followers that soon they will see a man staggering through the streets of Jerusalem under the weight of a cross, and he will go and he will suffer and he will die on that cross. And then he says, the person will be me. And Peter is so upset that that would even happen. He says, listen, crosses are for bad people. You, Jesus, are a good man. Crosses are for wicked people. You are righteous. Crosses are for evil people. You are the son of God. 
You'll never die on a cross over my dead body. And Jesus says, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. The cross is the very reason that I have come to this earth to pay the penalty for sins. And whenever Peter realizes this, whenever you realize this, whenever I realize this, that Jesus was the, is the Son of God, he came from heaven, he gave up everything and became nothing to give you everything. When you realize that, you will be willing to say, okay, Jesus, you are so worthy of my worship. You are so worthy of my everything. You are so valuable that I am willing to give up my little bit of everything to get your big bit of everything. When you realize that, you understand who Jesus is and you can be a follower. Not somebody to sprinkle miracle. That's the Son of God who gave everything and became nothing so that you could get everything. When you realize that, you'll say, okay, I'll give up anything, everything. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But to get Jesus, and when you get Jesus, you have got everything. I want to close with several illustrations. One comes from Rebecca Pippert, who was a lady who traveled around universities in America uh, sharing the gospel amongst university students in small group settings and things like that. She went to one university, was staying in the dorm, met a young lady called Lois, and uh, showed up the next day at the Bible study to this young girl called Lois. And... Uh, at the time, this lady, Rebecca Pippert, realized that Lois wasn't actually living in the dorm. She was living off campus with her boyfriend. And so the passage for that night was John chapter 4, and uh, they were going to read it around the circle. And Rebecca Pippert understood, here's this girl living with her boyfriend. John chapter 4 is about a lady who was living with her boyfriend. And so she said, let's start way over here so that this girl, Lois, doesn't have to read any of these verses and get embarrassed. But somebody else started reading halfway around the circle. And by the time it got to this young girl, Lois, she was reading about the girl who was living with her boyfriend. And all of a sudden, the Bible's a lot more relevant than I thought, she said. And Rebecca Pippert explained the gospel. And this girl was being convicted and wanting to become a follower of Christ. And Rebecca Pippert sat down to her and after many conversations, she said, is there anything in your heart that you think you'd be unwilling to give up to follow Jesus. And the girl said, I can't think of any. And so Rebecca Pippert said to her, I can think of one. What about your boyfriend? Who's going to be more important to follow Jesus or your boyfriend? And the girl was going through this incredibly painful decision of whether to follow Jesus or do what she was doing. And uh, Rebecca Pippert left her and the next day. She was walking through the dorm and she met Lois walking through the dorm with her backpack on her back and her suitcases all packed up. She'd moved out from her boyfriend. And she said that as she was walking down the hallway, this young girl, Lois, had tears streaming down her face, but a smile was written all over her face. And she said, I have never seen a better example of what it means to be a true follower, a true disciple of Jesus. For she realized that in giving up things, it was painful. But in giving them up, she got far more than she had given up. She got Jesus. The final illustration is of a preacher from Northern Ireland. His name was W.P. Nicholson. He was actually used mightily of God in a previous generation uh, saw many thousands of people come to faith in Christ under his ministry. After he got converted, uh, the Lord was dealing with him about witnessing. And so uh, some Salvation Army people invited him to come 
and uh, do some outreach on a street corner, preach the gospel, give out gospel literature. And W.P. Nicholson did not want to go. Jesus was saying, go here. And he realized for me to follow Jesus is going to mean that my friends are going to laugh at me. They're going to taunt me. They're going to mock me. But Jesus kept putting his finger. Here's what I want you to do in following me. So finally he relented and he showed up at the street corner with this group of Salvation Army people. And he was absolutely mortified to be standing there. It seemed like every friend that he'd ever known, every family member was walking down that street and seeing him standing there and they're hurling abuse and taunting him. And he was just absolutely mortified, just wishing the ground would open up and swallow him up and get him out of that situation. They saw that things were going difficult. So one of the young girls said, why don't we pray? And uh, W.P. Nicholson, I'm sure, wished the prayer would last at least 30 minutes. I mean, by that time, everybody would have cleared off home. But it was a very brief prayer. And when he opened his eyes, he said that his humiliation was complete. For when he'd kneeled down to pray, he had kneeled right in the middle of some horse manure. W.P. Nicholson said words that I have never forgotten reading. He said, in that moment, I lost something that I never wanted to gain, and I gained something that I never wanted to lose. Do you see? When you go through the pain of following Christ, it's painful. It is absolutely painful. But in going through the pain of following Christ and giving up your everything, you get His everything. And His everything is truly everything. Isn't that why the hymn writer could say, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small? When Jesus comes and says, follow me, He is the King of the universe who's saying, following me, I will lead you right into, you will become royalty. There will be pain, but you will get far, 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 far more than you have to give. You will get life itself in this life and in the next. Thank you for allowing me to be here this morning. I trust the Lord will bless his word to your hearts. Amen.